Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well. This week, Jessica Saunders joins me to talk about her game, Dance of Death, Dulac and Fae. In this interview, Jessica talks about making the jump from AAA Studios to becoming an indie developer and what challenges and benefits that brought about. She also talks in more detail, without spoilers of course, about her game Dance of Death. And she talks about the story, the characters, the myths and the legends that inspired this game, including the myths and legend of Jack the Ripper. And amongst other things, we talk about Arturian legend. And we also talk about the voice acting, the incredible voice cast in this game, how she managed to get them to join. And she has some really fun anecdotes about working with them, including how they recorded the lines together. And much, much more. So... As always, here is a trailer for the game, followed by the interview, so please enjoy. Peggy 16 Someone else out there thinks he knows what a lady should or shouldn't be. Only that bastard does his thinking with a knife. There has been a death. Cool, Steras. Getting on a week and the paving's still red with their blood. A description of the villain they seek. Leather Apron, they call him. Ah, you're not going to let this go, are you? Delac, the woman, she wears a red shawl. This is surely another of the visions. Your dog don't half make queer noises. I can do more than speak with his mouth, if you'd like me to demonstrate. There was something old about her. She is not a lady. She is something else. As your power grows, you will see more. He's already taken two of us, and all you can do is play games. I saw she's going to die. You have to believe me. I said we're finished. Look at me, Delac. Every day, every second, I am reminded of the man who trapped me in this wretched form. All I know is that there is someone out there who shall kill again unless we stop them. When do we start? This week I am joined by Jessica Saunders of Salix Games, the developer of Dance of Death, Dulac and Faye. So hello Jessica, how are you? Hi, I'm good thank you, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm delighted to that you could join me and uh, because I've been wanting to speak to you guys for quite a while now since I first came across your game, which we're going to talk about now very shortly. Um, but first, before we do that, like what we do in every interview, as one of you could introduce yourself and let us know what your favorite narrative slash adventure games are. Sure, of course. Um... 
Well, as, as you said, uh, my name is Jessica. Um, so I founded Salix Games in 2016, um, off the back of the um, closure of Lionhead Studios, essentially. So before Salix, I was a, I was referred to as a bit of a gun for hire in um, the AAA industry um, in audio. I was a sound designer for many years. Um, and I had the great privilege for working for many of the UK's um, biggest companies. I worked for um, Codemasters, Lionhead, Rare. Um, I was on the Arkham Knight team for Rocksteady, Citizen of Black's um, Splash Damage. I've consulted at Supermassive. Um, so I've worked for some absolutely astounding companies. And kind of off the back of that, I've developed a little black book of developers of people I've worked with over the years who I'm very lucky enough to call friends. Um, so when Lionhead went down, um, an ex-colleague at Splash of mine who was at the time one of the programmers at Lionhead, you know, we found I was off the back of um, Arkham Knight. He was now jobless after Lionhead closure and me being ex-Lionhead, we were like, well, I just won the 2015 Breakthrough Brit um, for my time at Rocksteady. And it was like, we'd spoken for years about going indie. Um, and it was like, well, we're both out of work. We've got a little bit of money behind us. Now's the time to do it. So, yeah, we decided to, to brave it. Worked as a collaborative team. His company, T-Clipper Games, my company. And, um, yeah, several years later, we shipped a game last year. It was all a bit nuts, really. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my background. A lot um, of things happening. In yeah. A short space <laughs> of time. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's it's like any AAA game company you seem to be a part of. You seem to be working for them, Dan, and some AAA games as well that I that I saw from your well profile, which was very impressive. It was Thank you. Like, wow, so you. You've been your experience in the industry, and you it's like it's safe to say you know what you're doing. Maybe that you've had I'd experience. Like to think so. I'd like to think so. You know, it's been over a decade now of an in industry. Um, so yeah, I like I like to think I know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, no, it's because of it's, it's purely because of my time in in AAA and because of the connections I've made and through the beauty of working in audio is that you have to work with every single department. Right. Uh, have to work closely with every department it gave me a really good sense over the years of just how a game is put together from pre-production through to shipping you know the other good thing about working across so many different studios is seeing just how different companies work and how different studios and different games work across different um, engines different production styles so when it came to making my own game it allowed us to do something quite ambitious um, with a small team because we had kind of seen and worked with it before, you know. Um, yeah, if we didn't have that experience, there was no way we could have done anything close to what we did. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because we'll be talking about the game just a little bit because it, it looks great from Thank what you. I've seen of the trailer. It's, uh, you know, it's like because... You know, a lot of adventure games are made by one or two people. Yeah. And, you know, so you, you can see that they've had to, um, you know, that they can't obviously compete with AAA studios. But this game, it was 
like, oh, this looks really impressive. You know, the visuals and the graphics, it's and the voice cast, which we'll talk about shortly as well. And but I don't know. I wanted to ask you, since now you're an indie developer and you've come from AAA studios, um, how did you find the change going from AAA studio to indie developer? I mean, I'm sure you've learned a lot with yeah. the AAA studios. Um, but was it easy enough to uh, to join up to become an indie developer after working on AAA studios, or were there any challenges or benefits to being an it, indie developer? It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I have learned more in the past four years than I think I have in my entire life. Um, game development is it's a house of cards held together with Pritstick and Trigger <laughs> at the best of times. It's a miraculous thing that they work. <laughs> Um, and going from AAA to indie is you you to realize just how much infrastructure is in place in the larger studios to support you with a large team that you just don't have on indie, which you have to create for yourself. Um, you know, we were very fortunate. We were a large indie team, mm. you know, and we we had the most exceptional talent. But even then, you know, you've got the things that just appear out of nowhere you know you have bugs you have footfalls you have tech there and it's just the things you cannot account for because you you just don't no matter how experienced a developer you developer you are things happen that you cannot account for and it's like oh we now have to fix this within our timeline right um, and it all boils down to the very miserable fact that time is money because your time is people and you have to pay your staff. Um, you know, one of the big things we had, I have um, for me is I refuse to have anyone on my team work for free. Um, that is just something I will 100% not have. I will not have a single member of my staff work for free. I think that is a despicable practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people get together and say, oh, we'll pay you off the back end of a product or we'll, because it just doesn't happen. <laughs> To have a successful game, to have a game that sells is such a complex and difficult thing to do. Um, I think people should be paid for their work up front. And so you have to, to scramble to get that money to keep going, to keep rolling. And, you know, and you, everyone has big dreams and, and they overscope. So yeah, many pitfalls, many things we learn. Um, so yeah, it was an exceptionally difficult thing. So the fact that we, we launched at all was, was amazing um but yeah i think yeah it's, it was it was a it was a hell of a learning curve hell of a learning curve and i'm just so incredibly proud of the team and of the of the title that we that we have and the title that we are considering continuing even to improve and and make better based on our community's feedback and our our technical effort continuing over time Right, you know, that's definitely very impressive. And it's it's good, you know, because I spoke with other developers as well who, you know, what you mentioned about paying staff that, um, you know, it should be obvious, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, because I've heard in the gaming industry, I've, I've never really worked in the gaming industry, but I have worked in the technological set, sector. And so I do, kind, I do know what you mean as well, that some sort of say employers to try and get away with employees doing work 
for no money or not much money, (laughs) which is not very nice. I mean, if you put the work in, then as you say, you should get paid. Yeah, the games industry is um, notorious for it. Like one of the things we wanted to go into with triple um, from AAA to indie was um, for me being a contractor in AAA, I always came on in periods of crunch where we could work um, obscene hours for little gain. Um, And, you know, it would affect, you know, your health, um, your mental health, physical health. um, you know, that was something we really wanted to avoid as much as possible. Um, I think, you know, when you get to the creative arts, you're always going to have people that want to stay that little bit later to get that little bit extra dunks. You know, it's going to make it better. And I think having small amounts of that kind of overtime is, is, is fine. But when it's weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months of mandatory, you must be doing this. I think that's, again, just something utterly despicable that needs to be stamped mm-hmm. out within not only the games, but so much of the creative industries, the VFX houses, etc. You see it with them as well. Um, and so when you when I see companies, you know, um, looking for people, and it's like they're asking for obscene hours and very low pay rates, or even worse is when I see people being asked to work for exposure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that infamous it, exposure. <laughs> it just oh. It, blows my mind when I see people asking for that it's it's just like I've had it in my my career of like I get messages from people saying oh can you do the the audio for my for my two-hour film I'll pay you a hundred quid and you'll get the exposure and I'm like and not (laughs) quite quite simply no (laughs) um so yeah you have to you have to kind of stick to your morals and stuff with that and it's something that's not really spoken about because people don't understand how much artists voice actors sound designers coders and things cost mm-hmm. when they go into making an indie game and so when they sit down and they get the quotes back from people it's like oh hello <laughs> this is this is a terrifying amount of money um and it all yeah it all just it adds up and it becomes a very depressing figure that's right. a very impressive little talk. I'm very sorry. Oh, no, no, don't worry. No, we'll. Get, we, I'm sure we get more positive. We'll, <laughs> yeah, because we, we could spend a long time talking, because it, it is something that really drives me crazy as well. And when I was in Boston last year for Narrowscope, fortunately, I won't be going anywhere this year, it looks like. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when I was in Boston, back in the days when we could leave our house, yeah. it's, um, I, there was the game Workers Unite, I think. Um, yes. The people who were, who were trying to create trade unions for uh, developers and, you know, employees in the game industry. Yeah. And I'm re- fully supportive because, I, as, as you mentioned again, with the, the crunch, now, one key word you mentioned before was small amount, that yes. sometimes it is necessary to do a small amount of maybe extra work, I'm sure particular close to the game's release, I'm sure it's crazy yeah. weak, but yes. when it's continuous, because I've read stories of, you know, really big name developers, that yeah. it's and it's in the media, but do you, do you think that things are changing, maybe because from what I see, more people are aware, more gamers are aware of crunch and that they from what I see, some of them at least are telling developers, take your time. We want you to be okay. We don't want your mental health to suffer. And I'm sure you still get the others as well saying, when is the game released? We want it now. But 
at least from what I could see, there's some more awareness. Now, I don't know if things are improving, but what do you see from, you know, working in the industry now? Um, people are aware of it. I don't think it's changing. That's a shame. That's a... Um, I think, uh, from, from what I know, um, unless things have drastically changed in the last five years and from what I'm seeing of, of colleagues and people I know, it's still, and from, from other big name, um, studios that are working currently. Um, no, it's not, it's not really changing because, you know, you've got these huge, huge titles, um, that have to get out by certain dates. And you, they have the ability to throw people at these titles. So they, it's a very common thing with the industry is to overhire and then let go with contractors. Um, so people come in, they work crunch, they leave. I was one of those people. That's why I've worked with so many companies. As you come in, you work the crunch periods, you leave, you go to your next um, gig, um, rinse and repeat. Um, I'm not saying these companies treat their employees badly. Right, yes. It's just the nature of the cyclical industry, um, especially with game dev cycles. Um, so, no, I don't – I think – it, it's really up to the companies and it's 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 down to the developers um, and it's down to um, the scoping of the projects. Um, it's down to yeah, it's down it's down to this down to the developers and it's down to the publishers and it's down to the leeway. I think at this uh, I think COVID's going to be very interesting because yes. having to because you know now these uh, now they're having to push dates back um, through. They have no other choice to. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see, like, will does the audience and shareholders bottom lines, how will that get affected, etc. So, yeah, I think some interesting times are going to come up. So we'll see. Mm. see. Yeah, that's the that's the irony now that with some of these especially big games that they're pushed to try and release it at this date. And now they, they have to be pushed back indefinitely. Yes. At least at time recording. So now it's like, okay, was all of that worth it, really? Yes. You could have, um, you know, taken your time. You could have, uh, the people, they could have, um, you know, had, you know, less working hours, but more time for themselves. And now I'm to, to, to end this part of the discussion on a positive note. I don't know the name of this company. I really should check them out, but they're a company based in Northern Ireland that I saw that they mentioned on their website that not only do they not have crunch, but they only work four, four days a week. So they have four-day working week. Now, don't know how true that is, but that's what they say on the um, website, that they want to treat their staff and employees well and make sure they have time for their own, you know, personal things that they want to do as well. So That's really cool. Um, yeah. So, but, uh, so anyway, so you've, um, you've founded this company, Salix, and actually I want to ask as well um, your favorite adventure games before we start talking about your uh. games. My favourite adventure game. Um, so I am an absolute sucker for your big open world RPGs. Right. Um, so I'm going to say the Mass Effect series. Mm, good choice. <laughs> yeah. So not your typical kind of... I know I'm really funny with the term adventure game because it's like what... Or narrative game, I'm, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm going I'm to stick with my answer and I'm going to say, I'm gonna say the, uh, the Mass Effect series. Mass Effect 2 in particular. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the most popular one. Yeah. 
And what, why, why do you think that this is the most popular game? What was it about? I mean, I'm sure people listening know about it, but yeah. just want to, I mean, it's not exactly a small game. Yeah. <laughs> but just um, when you played it, what, what particularly uh, stood out to you? For me, I think too, as an experience was, was just so gorgeous from start to finish. I think the, the loyalty mechanics with your team members was just so was so beautifully done. Um, you know, it took elements of one and really improved upon them. I thought the characters were really exceptionally well written. You know, you genuinely cared for your team. Um, like, if you found yourselves like rooting for certain characters and taking out certain team members more than others, and you like really I really grew attached to them and you found, and the game punished you for not paying attention to the game. And I love that kind of mechanic. And you have to pay attention to your team. You have to pay attention to who they are personally. And the game would punish you if you didn't know your team. And I thought that was brilliant. It did, de- um, you, that the game depended on you being a good commander. Um, and it was that little element of realism I really liked. And so you had your big end suicide mission, which, depended on how you played the game from the beginning. It depended on how well you knew your team, whether you picked them for the right bits and pieces. Um, and all the little individual loyalty missions, I thought, were just so well done. Uh, you know, and it really, again, it um, showcased just that idea of your squad, how well you knew them and really cemented the fact that you were a team. And I just think it was done really beautifully, really beautifully. Right, so the little things that, you know, it, well, little things, you know, like the loyalty thing that you mentioned that yeah. really stood out. It's, so then back to your studio and back to your game. Yeah. 20 minutes in, yeah, we got there in the end. <laughs> um, before we start talking about Dance of Death, when you founded the studio, yeah. what are, what's your, because you mentioned that you worked with other people, you wanted to found, a, you know, an indie studio. What yeah. were your objectives? You know, what kind of, games and did you want to make or what did you want to achieve and why did you choose to make well an adventure game um well the first thing we wanted to tell was stories um mm. for for me i we knew we we're always going to make a narrative based game um they're the stories they're the games that i'm most drawn to are stories uh games with a strong story um it's why i enjoy the big open world games, the fallouts, the mass effects, the Skyrims, the witches, you know, they are the games that I like to play. I like to get my teeth into. I don't tend to play arcade games much. They just, they don't hold my attention. Um, I'm, I've always been very strongly about characters. Um, um, I made this game very heavily with, um, my partner who is a writer. So I met him when I was working on Batman Arkham Knight and he was one of the writers on that and he's a script writer um, for film and games. And so it was fun. The game was fundamentally, you know, created and designed by a sound designer and a script writer. So, you know, audio and script, it was always going to be very heavy <laughs> on the dialogue <laughs> and the narrative. Um and so the one thing we really wanted to tell was essentially adult stories from different perspectives. Um, for me, as a gamer, one thing I was getting, you know, incredibly 
fed up with was hearing the same stories again and again within games, you know. I start a game, I run around, here's my family, here's my lovely wife, she is going to die. Oh no, she's dead. I'm now having a revenge story. You know, I'm just like, how many times is my wife going to die? (laughs) (laughs) Further, the story of my gruff male protagonist. (laughs) I mean, mean, sometimes the kids die as well. You know, there's some slight variations. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) my wife or my child, which one is going to die? It's just like... If, and it, no, every time it happens now, it's just like my eyes roll into the back of my skull. <laughs> um, and it was just like, it was, it was like, I kind of wanted to create the opposite of that male protagonist. Um, and I wanted to tell stories from different perspectives. You know, I wanted to have a few more stories from a feminine perspective. Um, another thing was a little bit of... Um, a fight back from from the whole Gamergate issue that was going on. And it was like, oh, you know, women are going to make video games and they're going to take oh, away... No. <laughs> and they're going to take away the violence and they're going to take away the prostitution. And I was like, no, I'm going to make a game and I'm going to make it about sex and violence and prostitution and murder. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to show you that all of that can be done without it being, you know, gratuitous mm. or sexist or just gross but can be done in a cerebral thoughtful you know intriguing manner that still appeals to you know a male and female and gamer audience you know I think the thing that annoys me the most is that you know I've amount of times I go to events um and, you know, people are like, oh, no, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a game developer. And they and they kind of look down upon you instantly for that because they think, you know, you're, you're a Call of Duty or Fortnite person. And it's just like, mm. if you say I work in film or television, it's suddenly like, oh, you know, it's like, well, I could be working on Love Island. I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but they automatically think that you are infinitely more lowbrow. But it's like, no, but Penny Penny Dreadful and Game of Thrones, et cetera, they, you know, um, and Witcher and all sorts of things, they uh, have these incredibly adult themes and they talk about wonderful premises. And it's just like, well, game gamers, you know, consume the same medium. We, you know, we're nerds at heart, you know. We read sci-fi and fantasy, you know, we consume all these same media. It's like, our games can do the same thing. Mm. Let's put it in there. Let's keep the adult content in there. Let's talk openly about adult themes so when it came to making the game you know I did want to talk openly about sexuality gender race you know we have a whole storyline about um a woman having an abortion and it's like we didn't want to shy away from anything in that you know because this was what real people went through and we shouldn't have to hide any of that and our audience is smart enough um and compassionate enough to to watch it and play it Right, yes, it's, it's, it's strange because as you mentioned that, you know, we, we don't usually have these sort of issues in, in any game. And I always find it strange when, as you mentioned, people look down on game developers and because people always ask, you know, oh, are games art? And I always say, well, they literally, they literally are. They literally yes. are art. It's, it's, you literally have to know art. And whether it's, as you mentioned, sound design or writing or doing the graphics, 
It's it literally is art, and so it's always annoys me as well when people look down. I I think you know now more from what I can see, more and more people you know beginning to re- maybe realize, hopefully that you know that okay, well, actually game developers are talented people. <laughs> it's like maybe we should recognize them, and uh, and yeah, as you as you mentioned with um, you know having this character who has you know who has to deal with with an abortion there, at the you know this. Again, the real issues that people still today have to deal with. Exactly. So, um, because again, there's still maybe there's still some people who think that games should be escapism or for kids, but yeah. really, they, they never really were. I mean, there were always, you know, adults have always been playing them as yes. well. So, um, no, that's uh, I mean, that's that's great to hear that. And also, yes, the other thing I want to mention is it's weird how you mentioned as well as a female writer, female developer, or um, director, at least I see in Hollywood that Hollywood thinks that women can only direct films where other women are in it or about other women. Yeah. So, you know, like, one, you know, Wonder Woman, really enjoyed that film, was directed by a woman, which was, you oh. know, great. But then I always mention Catherine Bigelow, you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and there are plenty, plenty of others. But again, that's a whole other discussion. Which, yes. <laughs> which I, I again hopefully things will, I still hope that things will improve slowly well no not slowly but you know quicker yeah but um but but no definitely I really you know like what you have to say about that so then about this game that you said you wanted to make a, a mature game but you know sensitively yeah um f- first of all um I was wondering if you could let us know what the story is and the setting of the game so first of all I suppose the elevator pitch. <laughs> Yes. Uh, So the elevator pitch is um, we tell the story of Jack the Ripper. uh, And we play (laughs) as um, two Arthurian immortals who find themselves in Whitechapel hunting him down. Wow. So so again, you're combining two, I mean, well, legends and then this real life serial killer. Yes. um, That you're combining... It was, which is what really fascinates me that I don't think, as far as I know, hasn't been done before, or, um, it, or has it been done before? Um, this particular it's, combination, I don't think has been done before. No. Um, again, it's um, it's a combination we went for for various reasons. Um, so the story we knew we wanted to do from the beginning. So we always knew the story was going to be about a man and his dog. That was always the beginning, like a man and his dog. Um, so that was um, Delac before he was Delac the man and, and Faye, who, if you don't know watching this, is a sorceress trapped as a dog, but at the time was just the dog. But we always knew we were going to do the Jack the Ripper story. And that was something that was I was very determined to tell because it's something, again, that infuriates me. Um because you'd ask most people about Jack the Ripper and, you know, the first thing that pops into their head is the image of the man with the hat, the cloak and the dagger. And you're like, well, who did he murder? And there was, oh, it's prostitutes. Mm -hmm. And all of that is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's historically nonsense. Um, The image of the hat, the cloak and the dagger didn't even come into the press until something like a year after the murders. Um, and was completely made up by the press. 
And out of the five known, what they're called the canonical murders, only one of them was working as a prostitute at the time. Um, and that was Mary Kelly, who we follow in the game. Um, and she was about 25 at the time of her death. The four other women were all kind of 40s to 50s, homeless, alcoholics, dying of tuberculosis, um, and were women just down on their luck. But they've really gone down as history as these sort of young, sexy mm. prostitutes. But actually, we know exactly who they were. We know their entire life histories. Um, but it's just something that's never spoken about. The biggest mystery was, in fact, Mary Kelly, the final victim. And if you actually start looking into her and trying to find out about who she was, she's actually this wonderful riddle. Um, for example, um, she told people she was born in Limerick. But there are reports of her speaking fluent Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> so how many people do you know who are Irish that speak fluent Welsh? And it's like, well, where? <laughs> um, and yet she was living as a, a as as a down and out in a DOS house. But apparently she could also speak French and write and was actually quite well educated. So how did someone that was well educated end up? in that situation and even was she or was she lying or was that a complete rumor like there is so much that's unknown about her and so we decided we actually kind of wanted to tell her story and through using her as a lens tell the Jack the Ripper story and actually try and find out as much historical truth as possible so we worked very heavily with um, historian Judith Flanders um who's a really renowned Victorian historian and basically trying to get Victorian London as accurate as possible. And um, we later brought on an incredible woman called Hallie Rubenhold, who wrote a book called The Five, which really goes into detail about the lives of the five women who were the victims of Jack the Ripper. And so we wanted to try and put information about them. You actually get to meet many of the women in the story about um, going about their lives and actually hearing information about them. Um, we don't necessarily even call it out to you, the player. They are just women you meet along the way. And it's it was basically an almost a challenge was, can you do Jack the Ripper from a feminist perspective? <laughs> can you tell the truth from it? Um, I remember pitching it to a few people and they were like, it's disgusting. How can you do that? You know, it was a horrible time in history um how could you even think about doing it i was like these were still women these was this was still a time people were still living then you know like we're all human at the end you know there's still human stories to tell within that time period we also did a lot of research reading i think it was mayhew's london and the london poor and there are so many incredible little stories um hidden in there which we pulled out and put into little side characters in the game as well so we yeah we really went to a lot of detail so with that did a lot of research then i, I can see yeah <laughs> we, we did we spent a lot of time doing our research and then with our arthurian characters bringing them in again the victorians were obsessed with arthurian legend absolutely obsessed with the whole idea of chivalry um with maidenhood with virginity this whole idea of um what arthurian legend was Again, that ties into Jack the Ripper and the idea of, of legends and their origins. 
because what we think of Arthurian legends and the knights and their castles, again, was not actually what the origins of Arthurian legends are, which is more actually 5th century Wales, which would have just been out of Roman rule and, you know, kind of more kind of straw huts and bricks and things and, and chain mail. And so it's okay, well, let's, how did that become knights in shining armour? <laughs> and a lot of that was down to people like the Victorians and the French. Because, you know, Arthurian legend, you know, it started off in Wales, then moved to England, then went to France and then back to England. You know, it's considered this very English thing, but it's it's Welsh and French. Lancelot's an entirely French invention. <laughs> but we consider him a great English hero. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it really allowed us to play with, OK, well, we've got these great legends but everything about them is a lie. Let's play with that. <laughs> Let's play with the origins of legends. Where does the truth come from? How do these lies and this big mythos around these legends appear? You know, where did this idea of Jack the Ripper, as we know him, come from? Where did the idea of Lancelot and this legend that we know about him come from? Um, and also by having these immortal characters, it allowed them to be a lens for the player because they are characters out of time. We could then put them in Victorian London and have them question Victorian London <laughs> <laughs> and go, this is bullshit. You know that. That's really racist. That's really sexist. <laughs> it's gross. Stop it. Whereas our Victorian London characters might be like, no, this is normal. Yeah, we're, um, we're used to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, having those characters really allowed us to play with all of those topics. Yeah, it's a fascinating com uh, combination of characters. As you mentioned, Arturian legend with Victorian London and Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And, and, and then again with telling it from a feminist point of view. Again, when you said that people are saying it's disgusting, it's gross. I'm like, why is it? worse than because you know just from jack the ripper's point of view trying you know because it's it's interesting how we always remember the you know the serial killers and the murderers but we never remember the victims yes that's and that's what i like about this game that you tell her from one of the victims point of view, we get to know her who she is yes that, exactly. you know she, she's not just a victim and then as you mentioned i wasn't aware i thought like you mentioned that oh yeah there were all these young sexy prostitutes who you know, he wanted to have a good time with and then kill. But yeah. it turns out that that's, you know, and then with the hat and the sick, again, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, not a uh, sick one of the murders was um, anything sexual either. These are all things that yeah. I think the general public don't know. And then also, how do people know what Jack the Ripper would look like? Because nobody knows who he, who he was. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. Like, if you start following the threads with the mm. um, the Jack the Ripper story, and there's so many forums and things like mm. devoted to trying to find out who he was and what it was. And it's just, it's fascinating. The answer is we're never going to know. Exactly. We have we no are idea. literally never going to know. And we're like, we put a, a theory forward. Um, and it's honestly just for fun. Like, we cannot back it up. We cannot say, yes, this was the answer, you know? It's just like, we picked a theory and went, yeah, that'll do. Here, here is our evidence. <laughs> yeah, here is our evidence. Here is the one that fits our story. Um, and, yeah, we follow various suspects who were at the time and bits and pieces in the game. But, yeah, like, 
you're never going to know because there was the forensics at the time and like there was um there's so many wonderful little or not wonderful but like strange <laughs> stories about it like there was the famous letters written by for Jack the Ripper like the mm-hmm. formal letter um but there were hundreds of them written and sent to the police hundreds from loads of different people with loads of different handwriting and lo- pretty much all of them were stolen from the police or sold <laughs> Like a lot of money, I imagine. You know? <laughs> um, so there was loads of evidence tampering, and obviously this was before forensics, and so where now where you went to a crime scene, um, it would immediately be boarded off. Mm-hmm. The forensics team would come, take photographs, everything. Um, back then, you know, they'd find the body. The first thing they'd do is remove it and clean the area to stop anything from the public being upset. So they right. remove all evidence and like <laughs> there was famous writing on the walls and there's no um, no photographic evidence because they went, literally were told to scrub it off then and there. Um, the actual, I think one of the pictures of Mary Kelly's crime scene is one of the first recorded crime scene photographs. Wow. Yeah. It's, so there's all these wonderful little things that we got to, we got to delve into. Yeah, it was also around the same time when... Arthur Conan Doyle was writing the Sherlock Holmes stories, which, from what I read, that police learned for you know more forensics from those stories. It could be true, it could be you know false, but yeah. it was around, around that same time. And but again, it's a it's a fascinating era as well yes. because it's from what I know. I mean, I am far from an expert, but I do love history as well. But again, you could correct me as well. Feel free to correct me. From what yeah. I know of the Victorian Victorian era, is that it's kind of on the precipice of you know modern times and it's still coming out of from what i see like more backward times and then coming up to more modern like just getting there not there yet um is, is that true or am i just no you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right that there was some huge shifts mm. at that time like um when we were doing some research into um we have to re- do some research into like morgue equipment bits and pieces and it was literally only like 10 20 years beforehand I might get my dates like wrong but it was literally not too much longer beforehand that they shifted from all of their equipment being this really beautiful wooden and filigree engraved scalpels um scissors etc into pure metal work so that they could disinfect it wow properly <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't a thing before then the idea of disinfecting anything and keeping everything clean because obviously all the bacteria could be into the little bits of the filigree. So that was obviously a huge, huge step in medicine. And the idea of, you know, forensic photography was another huge, huge step. Um, so yeah, there were all these huge, huge steps that were taken around that time. Um, it was, in, it was absolutely an incredible time. Um, but obviously, you know, you could still go to the chemist and buy cocaine and opium. Yeah, still sometimes, you know, some in some cases still seem like the Middle Ages. It's, yes. That's um but no, it definitely was a fascinating time. Again, I'm happy I'm I'm not I wasn't alive back then because I'm not sure I would have survived very long back then in that yeah. in that era. <laughs> but um but yeah, and and I think one thing which what you have mentioned as well, but which I think would probably the, 
unique selling point of your game, which is there is a talking dog. There is a talking dog, yes. <laughs> who, who is very sassy. And at least from what I can see in the trailer, that, like, I don't know any other game that has a talking dog that is very sarcastic. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's um, Morgan. Is that correct? That this is. Yeah, that... so that's that's Morgana. Yeah. Um, so how so, did that idea come about to have Morgana as a talking dog? So when we decided to make um, our man with the dog Dalak, um, we had we started thinking about you know who or what the dog would be, um, and so the first I think initial initial concept many many years ago was the idea was the dog was going to be almost um a possessed dog so it would be almost like a, a creature from the netherworld possessing the dog and the dog would be much more simple you know dog go here dog sniff dog smell bad thing and i think we kind of felt like that had been done before and then we kind of was doing some more reading. And then I think I just literally had the brainwave. Well, if that's because I, I love, I love, I said, I, lo- I love legends and like thinking about the Arthurian aspect. And it was like, well, I think in one of the tellings, you know, um, there was the unrequited love between Morgana and Lancelot. And so it's like, well, what if the dog was a, was a sorcerer and was a magic user that was trapped? It's like, oh, what if we make a Morgana? And that became an interesting thing, you know, the jet swapping the gender of the, the dog, you know, the dog was originally going to be male to making her female. And, you know, and then making actually, actually a powerful magic user, you know, it was then, you know, the, the genie in the bottle trope, you know, it's this incredibly, incredibly powerful creature trapped. <laughs> um, and then once we kind of made that choice, everything really fell into place around her. Morgana basically is the, the linchpin for the entire story. She is what drives everything. She is the reason Delac of Vale in London. She is what pushes the entire plot forward. Um, you know, we planned for Delac and Faye to be a trilogy of games, and one day hopefully we might even get to do that. You know, and her story is the one that drives everything. You know, she is the brains of the operation. Um, and she just became this fully formed character. And it's just like, well, what happened if you were that powerful and you were stuck for that long and you could only engage with a few people? Um, and yeah, it really just became her story. And then like putting her in Victorian London with Mary became this really nice juxtaposition about, you know, how women and how the poor were treated, you know, not much better than animals mm-hmm. <laughs> in some cases. And it became this really beautiful way to show um, the story of how Mary and and Faye got to bond together and how they finally saw each other for who they are and their personalities. If you choose to have their relationship go that way because <laughs> obviously in the game you can choose to have your relationships go in different ways so you can have the two hate each other or you can um, embrace their relationship and have them become good friends um, same with all three of the major characters they have these interplay dynamics um, so yeah it, her story really once we decided to make her Morgana the fae, it really started to, everything just started tumbling 
into place almost faster than we could kind of put it together. Um, and her and Delac's relationship, you know, we removed the romantic element from it and kind of twisted a few bits around that. Because that's, again, that's the beauty of the Arthurian legend. It's been written and rewritten so many times, you know, everything contradicts itself, you know, and we've so funny, we've had so many comments on our pages saying, oh, you've done this wrong, you've destroyed the Arthurian legend, why have you done that? And I was just like, well, obviously you haven't read that much about it, because if you've read this version, you'll see that it says this. If you've read this version over here, you'll see it says that. I mean, it's always funny, these online experts yes. who, who say, oh, I know more than you. And then yeah. you're like, but we, we actually studied this. We did research on this. Yes. <laughs> and then, as you said, the stories contradict themselves anyway. So Yeah. So we felt absolutely no guilt in saying, well, fuck it. In that case, <laughs> we're going to have him go do this instead. And we're going to take this bit from here and this bit from there. It's made up anyway. Exactly. It's, it's <laughs> a legend anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't fuck around with Victorian London. We left that as fact. <laughs> Anything we could leave as fact, we left as fact. If it was make-believe and fantasy, we figured it was fair game. <laughs> no, ex exactly. I mean, I, I always find how people get offended or annoyed, but for kind of the wrong things. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, not that there's anything to be offended about in this game, but to, I mean, first of all, to be offended about in this game is like, really this? <laughs> this and, and then, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I. But, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that can take us then nicely on to the gameplay, because you mentioned that you have choices about the relationship with the characters. Yes. Um, they can love each other, hate each other. So again, I wanted to ask about what kind of gameplay or puzzles or, or choices can we expect and do they affect the outcome? Again, without spoilers, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a fully branching script. So our script is mammoth. <laughs> um, absolutely mammoth. I think our main path script is, is 450 pages. Ooh. And then our side quests was the same again. So, yeah, you, it's a lot of dialogue. A lot of dialogue in this game. Um, our story, because our story is based in history and based in fact, um, and I'm going to put a giant historical spoiler here. So if you, if you know your history, it's not a spoiler. But if you haven't, we've had a few people upset by this fact. You can't save Mary. <laughs> <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. No, yeah. don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. We um, we made a very big decision early on not to do that. Um, because that's what happened to her. Um, and it was awful and it was pointless and it was disgusting. And to have changed that, would have been to rewrite history and would have felt wrong and frivolous mm. because that genuinely happened to that poor woman and to make it all nice and happy in a little bow for the sake of a video game <laughs> I was I was not down with especially as like into we would have had to have done what they did in From Hell uh, the Johnny Depp film is to keep it with the five murders. You have to bring in another woman to die in her place. 
and you they introduce another woman whose pure existence is to die and i was not i was not <laughs> down with that <laughs> right yes another wife <laughs> yeah <laughs> of someone <laughs> but yeah so um yeah so you the whole point is you have this profound experience with this character who is always going to have a tragic end um and so you cannot change history what you can change is your character's relationships how you get there um what side quests you choose um the outcome of some side quests you can change because they were purely fictional um and the relationships between the three lead characters um they can change dramatically depending on the player's choices throughout the game but the actual overall main story arc does not change Okay. I mean again it it makes sense because you said I can imagine people would be even doubly upset if you changed history in yeah. the game. <laughs> that, that you know they were upset about you writing a rewriting a legend or you know writing yeah. a legend. And I can imagine if you were rewriting literally rewriting history yeah. I can imagine the ripperologist would have been really going to your house and saying yeah. that this this, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> but also I can imagine as well that in this case, it will probably have more of an effect on the gamer, on the players, because we get to know Mary as a person, as a character, rather than just being one of the victims. Who yeah. that we, uh, And again, I'm not saying anything about, you know, about the victim, but, you know, usually with Jack the Ripper stories, it's all about him and very little about um, the people he killed. Yes. Um, here from what I hear is we get to know Mary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, or it was always about the police force. That's the other big one they always play is you, um, you either always play as Abilene, Sherlock Holmes, or your Jack Ripper. You know, you're one of those three <laughs> right. sorts of stories. Um, so no, it was very important that, you know, you, you, you learn about Mary. Mm-hmm. It's her story. It's no, she's, she is one of the big three characters, you know, she is, she is a fully 3D character. You might not like her always. <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. Know? I mean, that's human. That's fine. She's, she's human. She's flawed. Um, she's bold. She's brash. She swears far too much. We love her. Um, <laughs> she's a, she is a character and she is a human being. And she, that's exactly. You know, it's it, probably nothing like the woman would have been, but it's an interpretation of her based on the facts that we could find, and we have given her a personality mm-hmm. um, in the hopes that the player will stop and rethink what they know about the legend of Jack the Ripper and rethink everything that they know about it. Oh, that, that sounds... I mean... Good. I don't know if it's the right word. I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> it is about these horrific murders. But I yeah. definitely agree with that because, as you mentioned, the world basically, we think we know the story. Yeah. But really, we, we don't. And it has, you know, Jack the Ripper has become a legend and the murders yeah. as well have entered. Like, people forget the facts. People don't know what really happened. Yes. Um, a lot of us. And, and also from what you're saying with Mary, that she's, you know, flawed and she swears and which I find really interesting because in a lot of stories with, and again, this could be a whole other discussion, but about 
female characters or female protagonists. Yeah. That from what I see, they're either one or two types that they're, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, they're either wife who gets killed or dental in distress or they're the opposite. They're quote unquote perfect. You know, they're really yeah. sassy as well with no flaws and they're yeah. really, you know, the strong female character, which yeah. I think people might have good, good intentions, but again, they're not, neither is really real. But yes. in this case, it seems that Mary Kelly is, you know, she's not just a victim. She's not a dental in distress. She's um, not perfect woman. She's a, she comes across as a real person. Yeah, that was something we really wanted for all three of our, our lead characters with Delac and Mary, you know. Um, you know, we had, it was something that was really important to me with our development team as we had a diverse development team. Um, so we had um a female writer on Rebecca Hay you know she came on and she um took a huge chunk of she wrote chapter 5a and 5b um she wrote the infamous brothel scene for those that have played the game um which is just women hanging around getting pissed and it's just (laughs) such a female-led conversation when we were recording that it was um the actresses female um, dialogue director, myself, Rebecca, and just the poor chaps recording it. And (laughs) we were just in floods and floods of tears. We were laughing so much. Um, And, yeah, it was just so important to us that these characters felt like friends you would would know and people you would know. Um, And as I think I mentioned before, you know, it was important that Delac was this kind of – the antithesis of the gruff male character you know he is he is vain he is foppish he is charming he does stick his foot in it but he means well and you know he's again he's he feels like a real person he feels like someone you could meet um uh, we decided for me it was very important that he was a bisexual male as well um in regards to video games um i think there's a real trend with um sexuality in video games um for developers to kind of have their cake and eat it with a pride flag stamp by putting in attractive lesbians <laughs> because they're more palatable for a male audience mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we wanted to have, you know, here was an attractive male character who, who swings both ways and have people kind of think, oh, actually, no, you know, they, you do have gay men as well (laughs) that play video games. (laughs) Shocking that. Um, (laughs) All about titillation of, you know, cute lesbians that run around, you know. Um, so that was something that was really important to show as well and have that character um be portrayed that way and have it even though you know we've spoken about it in press and promo within the game it's just so natural um you know it's not something that's a huge storyline it's just there it's just who he is um just as much as you know mary's drinking or Faye's anger you know, they're just fundamentally part of the characters. Um, yeah, we just really wanted them to feel 
to feel real. And I think the script is arguably one of the things I'm most proud of with this game. Yeah, definitely. And that was when I read about the game when people kept saying, oh, the script is really good, you know, the, the, you know, the script overall. And you can tell as well that you, you mentioned that um, it was written as well by your partner who's a film a, a script writer as well, yeah. mentioned as well. So, and now again, from what I read about it, it, I think it comes across that you put a lot of effort, I mean, all over the game, from yeah. what I could see as well, but in particular in the script, because that's kind of, where for what I see some video games fall down in the script that we were mentioning your stereotypes as well and mm. that it seems like the, this game has really tried you know to do everything you can to kind of avoid these stereotypes just make these characters natural as well and yeah. have proper personality which um, but again we've um, and again we mentioned as well you mentioned that you were working on sound you were a sound designer when the previous yes. Companies. We haven't really spoken with sound yet in this game. Yes. <laughs> Which, um, because again, from watching the trailer and watching some playthroughs, the voice acting is excellent. Thank you. Or from what I've, I've seen, it's, and then I was reading through and I was seeing who the actors were. I'm like, okay, yeah, now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, first of all, for people listening, I was wondering if you could tell us about who the voice actors are and how you managed to get them to uh, perform in the game. Yeah, oh, our cast, I cannot, um, I love our cast so mm. much. Like, we absolutely lucked out in our casting process. Um, so a quick rundown of our main cast. In the role of Delac, we have Gareth David Lloyd, who was Solus in Dragon Age and Yanto in Torchwood. Um, playing a fae, we have Perdita Weeks who was um, in Penny Dreadful and is currently rocking it in Magnum PI Reboot. Um, We also have Alexandra Roach, who was Becky in Utopia. She's recently been starring in Black Mirror um, as Higgins. Uh, We also nabbed Rupert Vansittart, who was um, Lord Royce in Game of Thrones. We've had Pre Burford, who has been in Star Wars. And for those in the indie game circuit, we nabbed um, Jay Britton, who was in The, Occup- uh, the Occupation, uh, Tin Hearts and Forgotten Anne. And Amelia Tyler, who was also in The Occupation, Divinity, Original Sin, and We Happy Few. Well, so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that. <laughs> that. That again, these are experienced actors and proper actors. <laughs> yes. Again, yeah. we mentioned know what they're doing. So, yeah. Uh, so, how did you go about directing um, these wonderful actors then? So, you know, with their with the characters that they played as well. Did you, you know, how did you go about giving them direction for for the characters and for the sto- for this particular story then as well? So, um, when it came to casting and stuff, so we approached um, Gareth Purdy and Alex for their roles individually um, through, we recorded at Pinewood Studios. Wow. (laughs) And we knew, we were really lucky actually, each of those were our first choice for the main three. So to get each of them (laughs) was just absolute jaw dropping. Um, So we cast, Gareth was cast first. Gareth was a bit of a childhood hero of mine because I was a huge, huge Doctor Who and Torchwood fan. Um, my mum has a cat named Yanto, 
<laughs> and when I was playing Dragon Age and I heard Silas's voice, I was like, that's a really good voice. Like, that's a really good voice. And I looked up on IMDb and I saw it was it was Gareth and I was like, holy shit, I'm hiring that that's man. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we knew he was banked for, for Delac from the beginning. And again, with Purdy, we were watching through Penny Dreadful and she came up on screen, she opened her mouth and we were like, yep. That's her. We've been looking for someone for ages to fill um, Faye's role. And as soon as she opened her mouth, we were watching screen. I was like, we're getting a quote from her. Um, and when it came to filling Mary's role, we knew we needed a, a young Welsh actress. And there's just no one better than Alex Roach for kind of <laughs> sweary, <laughs> sweary young Welsh actress. And she was just, this was her first video game role as well. So that was really cool. Purdy had done one other video game before. I can't remember the title of it. I think she'd done like a brief villain role for an unreleased title. Gareth being the veteran of video games. Um, so we actually really lucked out by recording at Pinewood. We recorded there because they had the space for one, um, which allowed us to record the three leads together. So we actually had the three of them all in the booth at the same time. Um, and then we brought in Adele Cutting to do the dialogue direction. So me and Phil were there as well to provide, you know, creative direction and script support. But Adele was there to direct the leads for the majority of the time and the children, because I don't really know how to talk to children the majority of the time. So I was like, Does anybody? Anybody help? <laughs> Adele. So she came in to uh, uh, direct the children. And she just did a phenomenal job. And yeah, we had the three of them all together um, just so they could bounce off each other and like, see each other's faces, you know, get a live performance. And it just, the results just speak for themselves. You know, when you hear Delac and Faye speak to each other, they are genuinely there speaking to each other. You know, it's they're not solo in a booth speaking line after line to the void or to me speaking the line badly they are genuinely talking to each other you that's know, rare I, isn't it that's rare yeah. for a voice recorder from what i know that as you mentioned they're usually solo yeah it is pretty rare you know unless you're like one of the big studios who are able to do mocap and like have the full performance capture all together um it is usually a booth on your own um speaking lines to one of the dev team um, so to be able to do that for us or for a small indie team, that was really lucky. Um, you know, it was something we went, we wanted to do really early on. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time and effort to be able to do that. And, you know, we had to move our schedules around to adhere to the actors and to make sure that that was possible to do. And yeah, it was so worth it. So worth it, you know, so we knew we had like, we had like a Delac and Faye day only of <laughs> just having Gareth and Purdy in to get through the lines of when they were the chapters of those two together. Then we had like a, a Faye and Mary day when it was just those two in like for those chapters. And then a couple of days of all the three of them together going through those lines. And, you know, if, if one of them wasn't needed, they'd go out for a cup of coffee or a smoke or something and come back in. <laughs> um but yeah it was really good fun you know I think having the three of them together you know especially for someone like Alex who hadn't really done video games before it was really good for having someone like Gareth there as well who knew that when we were saying go bigger <laughs> she knew we weren't taking the piss because you know with video games you do have to go bigger because our animation isn't as nuanced as 
film where you've got one person doing <laughs> 60 seconds of really super high def animation you know we are relying on lip sync technology for a lot of the time or they are much blockier animations you know you have to so much is pushed by the vocal performance so you do have to go bigger it's almost like a stage play you know your performances are bigger to carry more space and you know and we kept saying you know you can go bigger you can go bigger and she's like is this okay is this okay is this okay um I think by the end of the first day she was like every actor should do a video game because this right. is like gymnastics <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm sure it's a different experience to working on a movie or a tv series or I mean I'm not um, an actor but I can just imagine that it, uh, it really is like um I'm good friends with like with Jay Britton and, and Millie Tyler and like we speak about it quite a lot and like and how it's it's such a different experience because you are in a booth you cannot hide you don't have other actors to hide behind you can't be hidden in a set somewhere you don't get to go off and have a break in your trailer you're in front of the devs in front of the directors in front of the tech screen and you just have to give line after line after line and you have to go through a complete wave of emotion like with one line you can be oh, my dog is dead, I am the saddest I've ever been. The next, oh, I'm getting married. <laughs> and the next, oh, I'm in the deepest despair. And the next, oh, I'm getting brutally murdered. All within the space of like an hour. And you have to be able to jump from emotion to emotion to emotion. And it's an incredibly difficult and at times heart-wrenching job mm -hmm. for these actors. And, you know, and it's our job as developers and dialogue directors to take those sessions and make sure that they are structured for the actor's voice, <laughs> you know, screams at the end, let them know in advance what they will be doing, you know, taking note of when, what emotional tones going on where, and just basically leading them through and saying, okay, and trying to give as much decent feedback and direction as possible without reading the line for them, which is the worst thing anyone can do. <laughs> Yes. Uh, again, I'm going to use Dave Gilbert as an example yeah. because he said he loves uh, directing voice actors. That okay. He said if he wasn't a developer, that he would just focus completely on uh, directing voice actors and voice acting. It's and fun. He said, yeah. And he said that uh, his wife was one of the voice actors and that before, you know, he would tell her in great detail what he wanted and he'd go, you know, on and on. And then she would yeah. say, OK, so you want me to do this then? in one sentence, in one, yeah. one line. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, just yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like a lot of fun as well, because, okay, you have to work, I'm sure you have to take the work seriously, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can, at least, again, using Dave Gilbert as, as an example, the, um, he has uh, bloopers, and that when, you know, when things go wrong, but then they just go with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but also, when I was watching the making of Gabriel Knight. And that had, at the time, you know, the biggest actors, Tim Curry, Mark Hamill, Lilia yeah. Ramini. And I saw interviews with them. And again, they were experienced, even at the time. But they were saying, this, you know, working on video games, it's harder than we thought because they're, as you mentioned, with all these different emotions. And then with branching dialogues, you know, Tim yeah. Curry's saying there's, you know, all these, you have to say the same thing over and over again at times. And then you have to yeah. go one way and then the other way. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think probably every actor should probably do a video game if they could. It's yes, it's 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 a really <laughs> complex thing, especially the the branching, 
and you're kind of have, it's up to you as well to explain like how the branching works um and yeah it's like when you have that same sentence and it's like it's something I always use for um when I'm casting now and I do it when I I audition people because I tend to audition people over Skype it will be a case of can you give me this sentence three different ways (laughs) 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 to see if they can do it on the fly because it's such an awful thing to ask (laughs) people to do um you know and when you do have the branching dialogue you know because that one sentence can be read in so many different ways and have to convey such different emotion and it will change the tone of a cutscene so dramatically and then it's my job as a sound designer to pick which tape which version to call at which time and one of the things we also have to do as a sound designer is time the dialogue is you know it's my job to say actually it takes from between this line and this line is it going to be 0.3 seconds, 0.5 seconds, 1.5 seconds between each line and put the weighted emotion between that (laughs) in it, between every... It's really minute detail. (laughs) Yeah. And that also can, you know, can really change change dialogue or we have to comp lines together that don't ever exist because we realize we've missed something and, you know, the amount of times I've had to give Jay or Millie a call and go, shit, we've forgotten (laughs) the line. I now need generic character number five to magically appear <laughs> and read this line to fill this gap. Can you jump on the computer and record this line for me today, please? Yes, Carly, generic character five, NPC number five, random person just on the street. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like it's it's more difficult than one would imagine as well. That It's, it's a giant jigsaw. Like, you mm. should see my Excel sheets and my recording sheets of everything because uh, like we ended up with a cast I think of if you including our loop group our Walla group I think was about 30-40 actors um, wow. involved yeah so it was it was a big it was a big cast the majority of our budget went on to our cast and our dialogue recording yeah because we had a lot of characters involved I think everyone but Everyone but the main three actors, Gareth, Purdy, and Alex, played more than one character. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, Jack, chap called Jack Christensen um, was one of our, what I call my chameleon voices, because he did the most incredible job. He played our Norwegian villager, speaking fluent Norwegian. He then played the cock, James Leach, who was our Cockney um, journalist. He played Alexander, who is our American rent boy, and he played PC Collins, who is our um, kind of southwest um, country <laughs> policeman. So the different accents and different languages. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of those accents might be considered different languages as well. So. Yes, exactly. And that, again, that's really impressive. Yeah. When the voices were coming out, like he, he's one of the few actors, I think him and Jay are two of the only actors in the game that actually have a conversation with themselves. Wow. Well, that's, that's great to see. And um, what I think, you know, since this game, the focus was on narrative and story, I think it's also important to make sure that it sounds right. Because from what I saw in the trailer, there, I mean, you mentioned as well that Mary, she swears that she drinks and that there is that brothel scene. So there seems to be some, a lot of, 
well, not a lot of them, maybe some humor in yes. the game, as dark yes. as it might be, <laughs> that there's some humor in the game yeah, as well. So no, you need to get that right in the voice acting as well, I'm sure. Yeah, no, we, there is absolutely moments of humor, because, you know, it is, a, it is a dark, horrible story, but as we've mentioned before, you know, these these were people's lives, you know, they still lived. And, you know, during their lives, they were going to have fun and fall in love and have jokes and get drunk with their mates and you know you know look at times now you know it's, uh, this horrible pandemic is going on but you still have zoom calls with your mates and play silly games online you know it's just because something terrible is going on doesn't mean everyone sits and cries 24 hours a day <laughs> exactly no we we need to <laughs> Uh, you know, as you mentioned, to see, well, have fun if possible. Yeah, exactly. And that's what these people would have done. You know, the Victorians were notoriously filthy people as well. They had the most wonderful sense of humour, you know. <laughs> they were, it was hilarious. And so, you know, we had to put that in right. and show it where we could. Um, and so, yeah, we do have some moments of just really fun humour that that our characters would have had. You know, and it does juxtapose with with the with the moments of of truth and and sadness that the game has as well. You know, with this game, we do want you to laugh, we do want you to cry, because it is all about the human condition and emotion. Right. Well, I think from what I've read, you definitely succeeded <laughs> in in that. And I know I've been keeping you a long time, but. The final one I've mentioned in the game as well is it looks great. It looks really incredible from the trailer and the screenshots and from what I've seen as well. I was wondering very briefly you could mention just how you managed to make the characters look like that and the game look so good because you're an indie studio, but the graphics look kind of more than typical indie studios. Again, again, we're just so lucky. We we ambulance chased after Lionhead went down. Right. <laughs> so, um, we—it's because we're all a bunch of ex AAA devs. Mm. Um, so we we hired people that really knew what they were doing, and were just the talent we got was just—I mentioned that little black book of devs I had. It was just an absolute honor to be able to ring up some of those people and say, "I have this batshit crazy idea <laughs> about a talking dog." Jack the Ripper and Victorian London, do you want to do some art? <laughs> and then turn around and go, yes, I'm in. Um, so Ollie and Emra did all of our background paintings. Um, so Emra um, was one of the art directors at Lionhead. And Ollie has done things like um, Injustice, Gods Among Us and Pottermore and his most incredible painterly style. And they depths of you know um research he went into for the environment you know finding old maps to get the streets right um for like the what exactly what h division would have looked like was just insane and what we did for that is we basically project our backgrounds onto a 3d model so it's actually very similar to what disco elysium do Mm. so we yeah we have a 3d white box and a set camera and we project our concept art onto that, which allows us to have a 3D character walk around inside a painting. And then we augment that with 3D props. Um, we were very lucky again to pull in um, a woman called Jodie, 
sergeant who I worked with at Rocksteady, and she did all the 3D props for the game. And then we just, you know, she did that very cleverly, pulled in certain textures. And then um, Vince, who did our character models, um, he went through and he lit everything so that it all just blended nicely. And, you know, with our character designs, you know, we just tried to push away from realism with the characters, you know, gave them that slightly cartoony look, you know, taking a little bit from something like Dishonored, mm-hmm. you know, where they've got that slight strangeness to their faces and cartoony look to them. Um, we went through several kind of renditions of Delac, for example. Um, so his original character model, we had a few people's kind of wives kind of look over the shoulder and go, do you meant to look like a vampire? And then we're like, right, he is not nearly attractive enough. So he went to what we lovingly called the um, Bowerfication, where we made him try to look a little more like David Bowie and a little more handsome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he kind of got prettified a little bit more. And Mary kind of got softened a bit. And that gave us our real kind of base for our, the rest of our character models. And then Vince just came up with this incredible technique for the rest of our NPCs, which almost, I don't know if you remember, you um, they used to um, get these like books as a kid for like paper dolls, where you could like replace like their skirts and tops and hats and things um, just with like little tabs mm. on the paper doll. And it's essentially that system for our NPCs. So we could swap them around and basically create new characters with these subtle changes, allowing us to have this huge cast for, for an indie game. So basically using, um, you know, talent and techniques from our time in, you know, these AAA companies, um, which allowed us to have this really unique and very striking visual look. Yeah, so you're able to use your experience to good use, then, which, yes. <laughs> which was which was great. So we mentioned as well before at the beginning that with the crunch and everything, but at least now something positive has come from your experiences that you're able to. <laughs> make this, I mean, I'm not saying that we should people should crunch. No, we should people yeah. shouldn't. But at least you got, you know, you're able to found this studio and make this game and you know get together with these people who you became friends with and who you yeah. knew from yeah. uh, these other companies. So. Um, no, this, well, as I said, it looks great. It sounds great. <laughs> and, um, it's, and I know I've been keeping you a while. So where can people, it's, it's available on Steam, correct? Yes, it is available on Steam. Um, so we have, uh, basically you can buy the game on its own. And we also actually have a bundle option, which you can buy the game's soundtrack and an art book as well. Oh, with it. oh wow. That'd be interesting. Yeah. See that lovely artwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And where can people find out more about the game if they wanted to find out more, apart from the Steam page, which has good information? Um, so we also have um, our Instagram, um, Salix Games, Twitter, Salix Games, and our Facebook. Nice. Okay, so and then final question. It might be a bit early still, and I know we're still at the time recording going through this COVID-19 yeah. um, virus thing, you know, bloody hell, just go away virus <laughs> but um are, do you have any ideas on what you might be working on next if anything are are you able to say anything or <laughs> or not or do you, um, what, what can you or and can't you say is <laughs> 
We are in the process of talking to some people about a thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking to some people about a thing. Okay. Yes. That's, it's something. It's <laughs> that's as much as I can say right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I won't push too much because I'm sure that there are like NDAs maybe and things and um you know, but I look forward to seeing uh, what you guys work on next. And I will definitely play because I said I, I bought this game. It looks great, and I've heard great things about it from oh, other developers. Definitely, I'll uh, say yeah. The sounds terrible, actually. The voice actors for <laughs> 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 all that. No, I, 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 I'm sure I'll like it because I said the concept is really intriguing, and it, it just you know when you, you know when you see a trailer, yeah, that, really, I want, I want to try this. I want to play this. It's, um, it's definitely very unique. So. Um, before we finish, Dan, is there anything else that you would like to mention that we haven't covered or anything you'd like to say to people listening or anybody at all? Um, Putting on the spot there, I know. So. Yeah, it's put me on the spot. Um, no, just that I hope that people enjoy it. You know, it's it's not your typical adventure game. Um, it's very much not your rubber chicken with the pulley puzzles involved <laughs> uh, it is very much focused purely on on the narrative and the storytelling and the dialogue and the characters um but if if that's your bag and that's what you're you want from a narrative game i really think this is something that you'll enjoy True. I imagine the people listening to the podcast that this is exactly what they will enjoy <laughs> i hope so <laughs> Okay, well, that is great then. Uh, thank you so much, Jessica, for giving me your time as well and uh, talking about your game as well. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. We could, but I, I, I see your cats are competing for your attention. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you go feed them. Yes, and, I'm very uh, happy. Hopefully, once this is all over, we can meet at one of these conferences sometime. That would be lovely. It would be really, really great. And I look forward to seeing what you guys are working on next. Brilliant. Thank you so much for speaking to It was really lovely to meet you. No worries. It's the same. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. So that was my interview with Jessica Saunders. I hope you enjoyed it. And a huge thank you to Jessica for joining me once again. And I look forward to seeing what she and her team do next. Now, if you like what you heard in the interview, you can check out the game on Steam. You can buy it there. And you can find out more on their official website as well. And the links, as always, will be in the show notes. So thank you again for joining me, everyone. That's it for this week. If you want to help this podcast in any way, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen directly on the website, adventuregamespodcast.com, or you can download it there. You can also write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can write reviews there's a link in the show notes as well at ratethispodcast.com and you can also if you wish become a patreon subscriber there are two tiers one dollar and five dollars per month if you wish and that that would really help us keep the show going and pay for upkeep costs and you also get some extra exclusive content there as well so that's patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast so there's some spoiler specials there uh, we do some spoiler specials for The Walking Dead, Whispers of a Machine, Scratches, and some others as well. And also some other episodes as well that you can check out there, as well as early access. Um, 
uh, to these regular episodes. So that is it for this week. Next week, I will once again be joined by Thomas and Laura as we will be reviewing and discussing the latest adventure games that we have been playing. So thank you, everyone. Until next week, take care. Goodbye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you